Chapter Twenty Five of Queechy by Susan Warner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Abigail Rasmussen. Chapter Twenty Five. As good a boy as you need to have. I dinna ken what I should want if I could get but a man. Scotch ballad. Captain Rossiter did no work at the sawmill, but Fleda's words had not fallen to the ground. He began to show care for his fellow creatures in getting the bellows mended. His next step was to look to his gun, and from that time, so long as he stayed, the table was plentifully supplied with all kind of game the season in the country could furnish. Wild ducks and partridges banished pork and bacon even from memory, and Fleda joyfully declared she would not see another omelette again till she was in distress. While Charlton was still at home, came a very urgent invitation from Mrs. Evelyn that Fleda should pay them a long visit in New York, bidding her care for no want of preparation but come and make it there. Fleda demurred, however, on that very score. But before her answer was written, another missive came from Dr. Gregory, not asking so much as demanding her presence and enclosing a fifty-dollar bill, for which he said he would hold her responsible till she had paid him, with not her own hands, but her own lips. There was no withstanding the manner of this entreaty. Fleda packed up some of Mrs. Rossiter's laid-by silks, to be refreshed with an air of fashion, and set off with Charlton at the end of his furlough. To her simple spirit of enjoyment the weeks ran fast, and all manner of novelties and kindnesses helped them on. It was a time of cloudless pleasure, but those she had left thought it long. She wrote them how delightfully she kept house for the old doctor, whose wife had long been dead, and how joyously she and the Evelyns made time fly, and every pleasure she felt awoke almost as strong a throb in the hearts at home. But they missed her, as Barbie said, dreadfully, and she was most dearly welcomed when she came back. It was just before New Year. For half an hour there was most gladsome use of eyes and tongues, Fleda had a great deal to tell them. "'How well, how well you are looking, dear Fleda,' said her aunt, for the third or fourth time. "'That's more than lean, say, for you and Hugh, Aunt Lucy. What have you been doing to yourself?' "'Nothing new,' they said, as her eye went from one to the other. "'I guess you have wanted me,' said Fleda, shaking her head as she kissed them both again. "'I guess we have,' said Hugh, but don't fancy we have grown thin upon the want. But where's Uncle Rolf? You didn't tell me. He has gone to look after those lands in Michigan. In Michigan? When did he go? Very soon after you. And you didn't let me know. Oh, why didn't you? How lonely you must have been. Let you know indeed, said Mrs. Rossiter, wrapping her in her arms again. Hugh and I counted every week that you stayed, with more and pleasure each one. "'I understand,' said Fleda, laughing under her aunt's kisses. "'Well, I am glad I am at home again to take care of you. "'I see you can't get along without me.' "'People have been very kind, Fleda,' said Hugh. "'Have they?' "'Yes, thinking we were desolate, I suppose. "'There has been no end to Aunt Miriam's goodness and pleasantness.' "'Oh, Aunt Miriam always,' said Fleda, and Seth. "'Catherine Douglas has been up twice to ask if her mother could do anything for us.' and Mrs. Douglas sent us a rabbit and once a quantity of wild pigeons that Earl had shot. 
Mother and I lived upon pigeons for I don't know how long. Barbie wouldn't eat em. She said she liked pork better, but I believe she did it on purpose. Like enough, said Fleda, smiling from her aunt's arms where she still lay. And Seth has sent you plenty of your favorite hickory nuts, very fine ones, and I gathered butternuts enough for you near home. Everything is for me, said Fleda. Well, the first thing I do shall be to make some butternut candy for you. You won't despise that, Mr. Hugh? Hugh smiled at her and went on. And your friend Mr. Olmney has sent us a corn basket, full of the super-best apples you ever saw. He has one tree of the finest in Queechy, he says. My friend, said Fleda, colouring a little. Well, I don't know whose he is, if he isn't yours, said Hugh. And even the Finns sent us some fish that their brother had caught, because, they said, they had more than they wanted. And Dr. Quackenboss sent us a goose and a turkey. We didn't like to keep them, but we were afraid if we sent them back it would not be understood. Send them back, said Fleda, that would never do. All Queechy would have rung with it. Well, we didn't, said Hugh. But so we sent one of them to Barbie's old mother for Christmas. Poor Dr. Quackenboss, said Fleda, that man has as near as possible killed me two or three times. As for the others, they are certainly the oddest of all the finny tribes. I must go out and see Barbie for a minute. It was a good many minutes, however, before she could get free to do any such thing. You hadn't lost no flesh, said Barbie, shaking hands with her anew. What did they think of Queechy Keep down in York? I don't know, I didn't ask them, said Fleda. How goes the world with you, Barbie? I'm mighty glad you are come home, Fleda, said Barbie, lowering her voice. Why? said Fleda, in a like tone. I guess I ain't all that's glad of it, Miss Elster went on, with a glance of her bright eye. I guess not, said Fleda, reddening a little. But what is the matter? There's two of our friends han't made us but one visit apiece since. Oh, ever since some time in October. Well, never mind the people, said Fleda. Tell me what you were going to say. And Mr. Olney, said Barbie, not minding her, He's took and sent us a great basket chock full of apples. Now wasn't that smart of him, when he knowed there wa'n't no one here that cared about em? They are a particularly fine kind, said Fleda. Did you hear about the goose and turkey? <laughs> yes, said Fleda, laughing. The doctor thinks he has done the thing just about right this time, I spect. He had ought to take out a patient right for his invention. He'd feel spry if he knowed who eat one on em. Never mind the doctor, Barbie. Was this what you wanted to see me for? No, said Barbie, changing her tone. I'd give something it was. I've been all but at my wit's end, for you know Mrs. Rossiter ain't no hand about anything. I couldn't say a word to her, and ever since he went away we have been just winding ourselves up. I thought I should clear out, when Mrs. Rossiter said maybe you wanted to come until next week. But what is it, Barbie? What is wrong? There hadn't been anything right to my notions for a long spell, said Barbie, wringing out her dishcloth hard and flinging it down to give herself uninterruptedly to talk. But now you see, Diddenhover nor none of the men never comes near the house to do a chore, and there ain't wood to last three days, and you ain't fit to cut it up. It was piled up in the yard, and there ain't the first stick of it out of the woods yet. Fleda sat down and looked very thoughtfully into the fire. He had ought to a seen to it afore he went away, but he ain't done it. 
and there it is.' "'Why, who takes care of the cows?' said Fleda. "'Oh, never mind the cows,' said Barbie. "'They ain't suffering. I wish we was as well off as they be. But I guess when he went away he made a hole in our pockets for to mend his'n. I don't say he had a knot to a done it, but we've been pretty short ever since, Fleda. We're in the last bushel of flour, and there ain't but a handful of cornmeal, and mighty little sugar, white or brown. I did say something to Mrs. Rossiter, but all the good it did was to spile her appetite, I suppose. And if there's grain in the floor, there ain't nobody to carry it to the mill, nor to thresh it, nor a team to draw it, for as I know. Hugh cannot cut wood, said Fleda, nor drive to mill either in this weather. I could go to mill, said Barbie. Now you're to home, but that's only the beginning, and it's no use to try to do everything. Flesh and blood must stop somewhere. No, indeed, said Fleda. We must have somebody immediately. That's what I had affixed upon, said Barbie. If you could get a hold of some young feller that wasn't sought up with an idea that he was a grown man and too big to be told, I'd just clap to and fix that little room upstairs for him and give him his vittles here, and we'd have some good of him instead of having him streaking off just at the minute when he'd ought to be along. Who is there we could get, Barbie? I don't know, said Barbie but they say there is never a nick that there ain't a jog some place, so I guess it can be made out. I asked Miss Plumfield, but she didn't know anybody that was out of work, nor Seth Plumfield. I'll tell you who does, that is, if there is anybody, Mrs. Douglas. She keeps hold of one end of most everybody's affairs, I tell her. Anyhow, she's a good hand to go to. I'll go there at once, said Fleda. Do you know anything about making maple sugar, Barbie? "'That's the very thing!' exclaimed Barbie ecstatically. "'There's lots of sugar maples on the farm, and it's murder to let them go to loss. And they hadn't done us a speck of good ever since I come here. And in your grandfather's time they used to make barrels and barrels. You and me and Hugh, and somebody else will have, we could clap to and make as much sugar and molasses in a week as would last us till spring come round again. There's no sense into it. All we'd want would be to borrow a team some place.' I had all that in my head long ago. If we could see the last of that man didn't hover on set, I'd take hold of the plough myself, and see if I couldn't make a living out of it. I don't believe the world would go now, Fleda, if it wasn't for women. I never see three men yet that didn't try me more than they were worth. Patience, Barbie, said Fleda, smiling. Let us take things quietly. Well, I declare I'm beat to see how you take em, said Barbie, looking at her lovingly. "'Don't you know why, Barbie?' "'I suppose I do,' said Barbie, her face softening still more. "'Or I can guess. "'Because I know that all these troublesome things will be managed in the best way, "'and by my best friend, and I know that he will let none of them hurt me. "'I'm sure of it. Isn't that enough to keep me quiet?' "'Fleda's eyes were filling, and Barbie looked away from them.' "'Well, it beats me,' she said, taking up her discloth again. "'Why, you should have anything to trouble you. "'I can understand wicked folks being plagued, "'but I can't see the sense of the good ones. "'Troubles are to make good people better, Barbie.' "'Well,' said Barbie, "'with a very odd mixture of real feeling and seeming want of it, "'it's a wonder I never got religion, "'for I will say that all the decent people I ever see were of that kind.' "'Mrs. Rossiter ain't, though, is she?' "'No,' said Fleda, a pang crossing her at the thought, 
that all her aunt's loveliness must tell directly and heavily in this case to lighten religion's testimony it was that thought and no other which saddened her brow as she went back into the other room troubles already said mrs rossiter you will be sorry you have come back to them dear no indeed said fleda brightly i am very glad i have come home we will try and manage the troubles aunt lucy there was no doing anything that day but the very next afternoon Fleda and Hugh walked down through the snow to Mrs. Douglas's. It was a long walk, and a cold one, and the snow was heavy, but the pleasure of being together made up for it all. It was a bright walk, too, in spite of everything. In a most thrifty-looking, well-painted farmhouse lived Mrs. Douglas. "'Why, tain't you, is it?' she said, when she opened the door. "'Catherine said it was, and I said I guessed it wasn't for I reckoned you had made up your mind not to come and see me at all. How do you do? The last sentence in the tone of hearty and earnest hospitality. Fleda made her excuses. Ay, ay, I can understand all that, just as well as if you said it. I know how much it means, too. Take off your hat. Fleda said she could not stay, and explained her business. So you hadn't come to see me after all. Well, now take off your hat, cause I won't have anything to say till you do. I'll give you supper right away. But I have left my aunt alone, Mrs. Douglas, and the afternoons are so short now, it would be dark before we could get home. Serve her right for not coming along, and you shan't walk home in the dark, for Earl will harness the team and carry you home like a streak. The horses have nothing to do. Come, you shan't go. And as Mrs. Douglas laid violent hands on her bonnet, Fleda thought best to submit. She was presently rewarded with the promise of the very person she wanted, a boy, or young man, then in Earl Douglas's employ. But his wife said she guessed he'd give him up to her, and what his wife said Fleda knew Earl Douglas was in the habit of making good. "'There ain't enough to do to keep him busy,' said Mrs. Douglas. "'I told Earl he made me work more than he saved, but he's hung on till now.' "'What sort of a boy is he, Mrs. Douglas?' "'He ain't a steel trap, I tell you beforehand,' said the lady, with one of her sharp intelligent glances. "'He don't know which way to go till you show him. But he's a clever enough kind of a chap. He don't mean no harm. I guess he'll do for what you want.' "'Is he to be trusted?' "'Trust him with anything but a knife and fork,' she said, with another look and shake of her head. "'He has no idea but what everything on the supper-table is meant to be eaten straight off.' I would keep two such men as my husband, as soon as I would Philetus. Philetus, said Fleda, the person that brought the chicken, and thought he had brought two? You've hit it, said Mrs. Douglas. Now you know him. How do you like our new minister? We are all very much pleased with him. He's very good-looking, don't you think so? A very pleasant face. I hadn't seen him much yet except in church, but those that know say he is very agreeable in the house. "'Truly, I dare say,' answered Fleda, for Mrs. Douglas's face looked for her testimony. "'But I think he looks as if he was beating his brains out there among his books. I tell him he is getting the blues, living in that big house by himself.' "'Do you manage to do all your work without help, Mrs. Douglas?' said Fleda, knowing that the question was in order, and that the affirmative answer was not counted a thing to be ashamed of. "'Well, I guess I'll know good reason,' said Mrs. Douglas complacently before I'll have any help to spoil my work. Come along, and I'll let you see whether I want one. Fleda went, 
very willingly, to be shown all Mrs. Douglas's household arrangements and clever contrivances of her own or her husband's devising for lessening or facilitating labor. The lady was proud, and had some reason to be, of the very superb order and neatness of each part and detail. No corner or closet that might not be laid open fearlessly to a visitor's inspection. Miss Catherine was then directed to open her piano and amuse Fleda with it, while her mother performed her promise of getting an early supper, a command grateful to one or two of the party, for Catherine had been carrying on all this while a most stately tete-a-tete with Hugh, which neither had any wish to prolong. So Fleda filled up the time good-naturedly with thrumming over the two or three bits of her childish music that she could recall, till Mr. Douglas came in and they were summoned to sit down to supper, which Mrs. Douglas introduced by telling her guests they must take what they could get, for she had made fresh bread and cake and pies for them two or three times, and she wasn't a-going to do it again. Her table was abundantly spread, however, and with most exquisite neatness, and everything was of excellent quality, saving only certain matters which call for a free hand in the use of material. Fleda thought the pumpkin pies must have been made from that vaunted stock which is said to want no eggs nor sugar, and the cakes she told Mrs. Rossiter afterwards would have been good if half the flour had been left out, and the other ingredients doubled. The deficiency in one kind, however, was made up by a superabundance in another. The table was stocked with such wealth of crockery that one could not imagine any poverty in what was going to go upon it. Fleda hardly knew how to marshal the confusion of plates which grouped themselves around her cup and saucer, and none of them might be dispensed with. There was one set of little glass dishes for one kind of sweetmeat, another set of ditto for another kind, an army of tiny plates to receive and shield the tablecloth from the dislodged cups of tea, saucers being the conventional drinking vessels. And there were the standard bread-and-butter plates, which, besides their proper charge of bread-and-butter and beef and cheese, were expected, Fleda knew, to receive a portion of every kind of cake that might happen to be on the table. It was a very different thing, however, from Miss Anastasia's tea-table, or that of Miss Flora Quackenboss. Fleda enjoyed the whole time without difficulty. Mr. Douglas readily agreed to the transfer of Philetus's services. "'He's a good boy,' said Earl. "'He's a good boy. He's as good a kind of a boy as you need to have. He wants tellin', most boys want tellin', but he'll do when he is told, and he means to do right.' "'How long do you expect your uncle will be gone?' said Mrs. Douglas. "'I don't know,' said Fleda. "'Have you heard from him since he left?' "'Not since I came home,' said Fleda. "'Mr. Douglas, what is the first thing to be done about the maple trees in the sugar season?' "'Why, you calculate to try making sugar in the spring?' "'Perhaps. At any rate, I should like to know about it.' "'Well, I should think you would,' said Earl. "'And it's easy done. There ain't nothing easier.' when you know the right way to set to work about it. And there's a fine lot of sugar-trees on the old farm. I recollect of them sugar-trees as long ago as when I was a boy. I've helped to work them afore now, but there's a good many years since. Has made me a little older. But the first thing you want is a man and a team to go about and empty the buckets. The buckets must be emptied every day, and then carry it down to the house. Yes, I know, said Fleda. "'But what is the first thing to be done to the trees?' "'Why, la, tain't much to do to the trees. 
all you've got to do is to take an axe and chip a bit out and stick a chip a little way in to the cut for to drain the sap and set a trough under and then go on to the next one and so on you may make one or two cuts in the south side of the tree and one or two cuts in the north side if the tree's big enough and if it ain't only make one or two cuts in the south side of the tree and for the sap to run good it had ought to be that kind of weather when it freezes in the day and thaws by night i would say when it freezes in the night and thaws in the day the sap runs more bountifully in that kind of weather it needed little from fleda to keep mr douglas at the maple trees till supper was ended and then as it was already sundown he went to harness the sleigh it was a comfortable one and the horses if not very handsome nor bright curried were well fed and had good heart to their work a two-mile drive was before them and with no troublesome tongues or eyes to claim her attention fleda enjoyed it fully in the soft clear winter twilight when heaven and earth mingle so gently and the stars look forth brighter and cheerfuller than ever at another time they slid along over the fine roads too swiftly towards home and fleda's thoughts as easily and swiftly slipped away from mr douglas and maple sugar and philetus and an unfilled wood-yard and an empty flour-barrel and revelled in the pure ether a dark rising ground covered with wood sometimes rose between her and the western horizon and then a long stretch of snow only less pure would leave free view of its unearthly white light dimmed by no exhalation a gentle mute but not the less eloquent witness to earth of what heaven must be but the sleigh stopped at the gate and fleda's musings came home good-night said earl in reply to their thanks and odd use tain't anything to thank a body for let me know when you're going into the sugar-making and i'll come and help you how sweet a pleasant message may make an unmusical tongue said fleda as she and hugh made their way up to the house we had a stupid enough afternoon said hugh but the ride home was worth it all. End of chapter 25